many of these studies that claim that kids are leaving the church aren't based on empirical evidence. They don't really have research study behind them. They're just, they're, they literally made up the numbers. But there's not a book that has been written in the last 30 years on youth ministry that does not mention the dropout statistics. And the book is kind of the, you know, here is, uh, here's how you solve it. Because at the end of the day, negative statistics sells books, right? But it's not true statistics. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. So today we have a pretty incredible interview that this is one of those interviews I would say the most captivating, eye-opening, and maybe important that we've ever done in all of our seasons of the Thought Factory because of what you're about to hear. I would agree with that as well. Um, And that's not a far stretch, I think. After listening to the interview, I think this is incredibly important for anybody that's going to probably cause you to question some things in youth ministry. Yeah, so hold on to your hats. This interview has got a lot of twists and turns, a lot of very, very important information that... And this is one of those episodes where I would say, please pass this on to other people that you know in youth ministry. This is that important. You'll understand once you listen to it. Let me introduce our guest that we interviewed today. His name is Derek Idle. Derek has spent 22 years full-time in local church youth ministry. He um, has led the student ministries department at one of the largest churches in America in Atlanta, Georgia, called 12 Stone Church. And then he became the executive director of the Center for Youth Ministry at Liberty University in 2018. He has since earned his doctorate. He's also currently, as well as all that, the youth pastor at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, a very, very large megachurch running a student ministry of several hundred. Derek, he's a thought leader. He's one of the most influential voices and minds in youth ministry in the world. He's also a dear personal friend of myself and Jason. It's a privilege to have him with us today. So let's listen to this interview with Derek Idle. Give us a primer, like what's the what's the general research about that we can say, hey, this is you've been doing some research about dot dot dot. What would we say there? Basically the general consensus has been even, you know, the conversation has been this conversation's been having have has been had ever since the mid nineties around the idea that students are leaving the church in droves when they graduate high school, that we're losing people from the church at, you know, dramatic rates. And somewhere, depending on who you read, between 90 to uh, 70 to 90 percent of people are leaving the church when they graduate high school, somewhere in the first few years of when they graduate. And what's happened as a result of this conversation is youth ministry has become the primary target as the reasoning behind why this trend has happened, why people are leaving the church. And, you know, I've got, you know, data and quotes and all types of stuff like that from different people. But, um, but, uh, but basically, uh, you know, one, uh, one author says, you know, youth ministry is a 50 year failed experiment. And uh, so what happened is um, a guy by the name of Brandon Shields back in 2008, just said, man, this doesn't really jive with my experience in youth ministry. Like the students are not leaving my student ministry and leaving it in droves. So he uh, he was at a Southern Seminary um, and uh, in in uh, Kentucky he went and he did a uh, he did a research study and he did he basically developed this uh, this uh, kind of scales for these uh, four different levels of youth ministry commitment previous youth ministry commitment and so a level one would be a student who um, uh, you know what, let me just give you the thirty thousand foot there's four levels and uh, so what he did is he researched. Southern Baptist megachurches. So he picked 12 Southern Baptist megachurches and he had them email their kind of previous roles of people in student ministry, not in church, but just previous, you know, people, this survey that had been or connected in, into the student ministries at this church, at, at this, uh, uh, at these churches. And uh, what he found was the complete exact opposite that those kids that were connected in a student ministry environment were, were retained in the church at over 90%. In fact, those who were a level four commitment were at like 92% um, 
uh, re retention level. So they're not leaving the church. They're actually very actively involved in the church uh, when they go to college, if they have, uh, or as young adults from 18 to 29 years old, if they have previous youth ministry commitment. Even the lowest levels of youth ministry commitment had a 80% uh, retention rate. So what I did is, but it's the only kind of major research on this. There's really not that much research on it. And what you find when you get into the research is, is that many of these studies that claim that kids are leaving the church aren't based on empirical evidence. They don't really have research study behind them. They're just, they're, they literally made up the numbers. But there's not a book that has been written in the last 30 years on youth ministry that does not mention the dropout statistics. And the book is kind of the, you know, here is uh, here's how you solve it. Because at the end of the day, negative statistics sells books. Right. But it's not true statistics. So what I did is I went and I researched um, I researched uh, across four denominations, um, the Evangelical Free Church, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, what the Wesleyan Church and uh, the Southern Baptist Church. I've researched four denominations and I researched churches of 500 to 2000. And uh, so I, I basically replicated the study that Brandon Shields did uh, in churches of, um, uh, of that. Uh, the overall retention rate, and my, my research study is, is like, it's, it's incredible. The research is incredible. The, uh, the responses were incredible. And I researched these 17 churches across these four denominations, across 11 states all over the country, so it wouldn't be regional. And, um, and what, we what I found in my study is the overall retention rate for students connected to a youth ministry was 95.4%. Those at a level four, which is the highest level engagement, is 98%. In other words, if a kid goes to everything in the student ministry, they're connected to everything, uh, the chances of them staying in the church when they are adults is virtually guaranteed. And to put that in perspective, Protestant uh, uh, Protestant families with a mom and dad at home that are Protestant believers in Jesus, the retention rate for their children to stay in the church as adults is 80%. That's basically the exact same as the lowest level of youth ministry commitment. So there's not a factor in all of the literature that proves higher to someone staying connected to their faith in Jesus as an adult than previous youth ministry commitment. That is one piece of the research, but I think is a significant, significant piece of the research. And there's all types of ministry implications for this as well. And then there's also the dynamic, uh, and I also found some interesting dynamics with youth pastors and youth ministries related to this, uh, to this conversation too. So anyways, that's some of the, that's some of the, the, the research. That's the short version, Cliff Notes version. Yeah, we don't want any of that, actually. No. Right? <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't make any Let's sense. Let's go in a different us. direction. Yeah, it just yeah, doesn't, right. yeah. doesn't seem to fit what we want. <laughs> wow. No, yeah. that's, that's great. Yeah, that is incredible. So, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. It, what's what's incredible is that is that when we when Brandon Shields in 2008 and when I went, and I mean, I spent three years studying this. I went and researched. We researched all of the places where these claims were made. And a simple Google search will bring up 3 million references in the literature to this idea that kids are leaving the church when they graduate high school, 3 million. But when you go back and look at these actual research studies, most of them are completely bogus. They, uh, the first mention of it in the literature is back in 1991 by Barna. And the study wasn't even on youth ministry. It wasn't even on high school kids and students. It had nothing to do with it. Just randomly in the research implications at the end of the study, they said kids are leaving the church. And there was nothing, even not a single question in the research study that had anything to do with that. Yeah. Like it's malpractice. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting, too, over the years, you know, the last several years when we've been doing re our own research, we found the results to be much more positive. And we, you know, much more positive. Yeah, we've talked about that on this podcast. You and I have talked well, about. Well, you know, it. you know, over the last maybe ten years, fifteen years, the nuns, you know, the religious nuns has been the big conversation. The religiously non-affiliated. Yeah. Well, Veritas, which is one of the top research organizations, like anywhere, um, they're actually showing the complete opposite. They're actually showing that the nuns of uh, by twenty forty are actually going down. They're going to drop from 16% to 13%, a 3% drop, the, the, the largest drop ever. And most of them are converting to Christianity. Um, the second would be Islam. 
uh, and they're also showing that um, that uh, that Christianity is going to be growing by one percent, uh, growing is growing by one percent over that time, which is pretty incredible. So when Jesus said, "On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it," Jesus mm-hmm. wasn't playing. The church is not going down. There's not doom and gloom with the church. You know, um, the gospel is going to impact lives of people, and church and the church is going to advance. And so we got to stop this negative you know, uh, these negative conversations about how the church is losing ground and all this type of stuff. And I'm seeing with the Gen Z, if we transition into that and just with these students, man, like this next generation is on fire. Like they are, uh, there's a different makeup of this generation, which, uh, which I think is good. Like it's, it's really positive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, that concludes our interview. (laughs) Perfect. So where, where do you think Derek, the, um, where does that negativity, where's it coming from? Were you able to, to source any of that? Where did, where do these, uh, where do these data points come from? Yeah. Like when it comes to the, the, the negativity about youth ministry in general, is that, is there a, a motive or a source that you've been able to identify? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There, there's, there's actually, uh, there's actually several sources, um, uh, uh, of it, but what, what happened was, you know, if you, if you really get into the, you get into the research and you start studying it, you see this Barna quote back in 1991, and then you start seeing, um, different people pick up this idea, um, like, uh, Jay Strack with Student Leadership University, Josh McDowell, which back in the late nineties, you know, um, these are significant voices in the youth ministry movement. They're making they're making claims from the platform. Kids are leaving the church in droves. They're leaving the church between 70 to 90 percent of them are leaving the church. when They graduate from high school. Um, they don't know why they believe what they believe. That's the spin that Josh McDowell took. They don't know why they believe what they believe. So because they don't know why they believe what they believe, they're leaving the church when they sit in front of a professor that smashes everything they believe. And then they go, well, this must not be true. This guy's smarter than me and <laughs> I can't defend my faith. And then so then he says, well, you know, you need to learn how to defend your faith, read my book or whatever it might be. Now, I know it's not that trivial, but what we found is what I, what we found is Shields and myself found is that um, that uh, that uh, Josh McDowell's claim is 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 not tied to any literature. There's not one research study anywhere that says what he says. And he doesn't cite any liter any research. Uh, uh, Brandon Shields interviewed Jay Strack. And Jay Strack said basically like, yeah, man, I, it just felt that way. So I just said it. Mm-hmm. So most of this stuff is not even based on research. It's completely anecdotal. Like it's completely just based off of feeling and not based off of empirical research. And, and, uh, but what happened is, is that this started to spread. And then around, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, the family integrated church kind of picked this up. And I don't know if you guys for the older people in youth ministry, They'll remember uh, the divided documentary that came out that basically talked about how youth ministry is a failure. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we haven't done enough on family ministry and church ministry, you know, uh, integrating family and that the family's responsibility is to disciple children in their faith, which I completely agree with. It is the responsibility of a mom and dad to disciple their kids. But what do you do about those kids that don't have parents that believe in Jesus? Do we just abandon them and kick them to the curb and say they're not welcome in church? Well, because youth ministries reach those kids and youth ministries become, you know, adoptive parents to those kids. And we are discipling and pouring into them and investing in them at at a pretty deep level. And those kids are making it as adults in their faith because of the youth ministry um, uh, deal. But that started gaining traction. And, and, you know, youth ministry historically has just, you know, been kind of the easy target to make pop shots. Well, if kids, people are leaving the church and droves and graduate high school, what are we doing in youth ministry? Youth ministries are just playing games and eating pizza and having, a, having fun. It's about being attractional. It's about being entertainment driven. I personally, and I, and, and, you know, I know a lot of student pastors. I'm not saying that to flex, you know, I have, I'm in a lot of circles of student ministry. Yeah. Um, I've met with significant church student pastors this week. And, uh, and I, I, I could not tell you the last time I've met a student pastor who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't love the gospel, is not passionate about um, discipling their kids that, 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 uh, you know, they, they have strategies to, to do that. And, are committed 
to doing whatever it takes to pour into the next generation. And none of them are all about pizza and fun and whatever. We have pizza and fun because kids like pizza and fun, but that's a part of the ministry, but it's not the ministry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that some of that's been taken kind of, kind of, uh, uh, in that direction, but these statistics have been used. These dropout statistics have been used as the, as the gasoline on the fire to say that youth ministry has been, is, is failing. And, um, and, and, you know, and you have big voices that are saying those things like Vody Bauckham, who's written books on it, you know, and he's all over the place right now, you know, on yeah. social media and different things like that. I mean, you know, the Paul washers and other people that, that, you know, people look and say, Hey man, I respect this person. I'm, I, you know, they're a believer. Uh, they stand for these biblical truths. And so these are not casual voices that are saying these things. But what I'm submitting to you is, is that they're, they're making these claims based off of faulty research and research that's not true. Yeah. It doesn't, that doesn't exist. Um, there are only a couple research claims anywhere that actually have any type of data to them that are saying kids are leaving the church. Um, but where that becomes problematic is um, a guy by the name of Karl Popper back in the 1950s uh, in 1959, he wrote a book on it, but, um, but he, he was a big researcher and he talked about falsification and verification research and falsification and verification research basically works like this. If you do a study and you come to a conclusion and then you do another study and it comes to the same conclusion, and you do another study and it comes to the same conclusion. Well, you've verified over, you know, three times in three studies that that conclusion is correct. But how many studies do you need to have in order, in order for it to falsify the truth of a study? Well, you only need one. And he uses the example of a swan. He says, if I made the claim, all swans are white. Swans are white. In the region of the world that I live in, uh, all swans that I see are white. But then I travel somewhere else and I come across a black swan. Well, now, because I've found one black swan, my, my hypothesis that all swans are white cannot be true, right? Mm -hmm. What's happened is, is that now there are two significant research studies, the one that, that I completed uh, earlier this year and the one that uh, was completed back in 2008 by Brandon Shields. They completely, they don't just show a slight correction to this, this idea that 70 to 90% of kids are leaving the church. They actually show the exact opposite. Like they are the complete opposite of that. Hmm. And that's where you go, okay, we need to back this thing down. So another study that was done was by LifeWay. What they said is they said they did the study back in 2007, and then they did a replication study of it in 2017. And they basically were researching the idea that um, do kids leave the church like for, for, for um, at least a year from the time they're 18 to 22? Right. Mm -hmm. So they did it in 2007 and it was like 70% of them leave for like a leave for like a year. I believe it was 70. And then they did it again uh, in 2017 and it dropped to 66%. Now here's the deal. I ran the same data in my study and Brandon Shields did in his study as well on the same data. And I only had 14% of the kids leave the church for at least a year when they went to college from 18 to 22, when they had some connection to a church. Uh, in, in high school. And now that's big. That's not a, that's major. So what you have to say is you can say, well, I don't believe your research and I don't believe Shields' research. I believe Lifeway's research. Um, then I would say, well, well, our studies falsify that study. So which one's right? Well, you can say all are wrong, but you can't say that one is right and the others are wrong because there's data showing it. The truth is there's not enough data that has been collected and done properly with a really strong empirical research methodology in youth ministry uh, ever. Uh, there's very few studies anywhere. So now, um, so, so now we're making these big claims. And here's my biggest concern about youth ministry is that we're, there's been this call to reconceptualize and even reject youth ministry in a lot of circles. And it's led to, um, having a really difficult time finding youth pastors to go into youth ministry. And some churches have just, uh, they cut their youth ministry budgets or they cut youth ministry staffing. Why have it if, you know, uh, the ministry that they're leading is going to lead to a high percentage of these kids leaving the church anyway? Why use the investment, the time, the money, the resources? Why do that? Right. And so that happens. 
and uh, in, in churches. And I'm going, why are we calling for a reconceptualization and a rejection of youth ministry when it is the most significant factor to someone's future retention in the church and their faith formation? Yeah. There's not another factor in the literature that is higher than youth ministry. Wow. All right, that brings up another question, Derek, that I was going to ask you is what about <clears throat> the local church seeming to really downgrade the resourcing that they're giving to youth ministry? Are you seeing that? Are you, you're talking about the connection here with the research, but are you seeing in, in the particular study that you've done and just anecdotally in conversations, what are you seeing? Because that, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing churches really backing down not hiring as much, you know, not reserving as much of their budgets as they have in the past, maybe for youth ministry. What are you seeing in that realm? <clears throat> okay, so let me, let me, um, that's a great question. And, and let me, and just because that, I, I, you know, I have some data a little bit on this too. Let me mention some data and then I'll kind of get on the anecdotal side of it. So in my research study that I did of the 17 churches across the four denominations, I had some inclusion criteria that you had to kind of, you know, you had to meet in order to be in the study. Like as an example, you had to teach, um, you had to be like theologically conservative that I, you know, um, uh, it, it, you know, things like you have to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You have to believe like that the Bible is the inspired uh, inerrant word of God and teach those things because I'm not interested in what are churches that aren't really teaching the, uh, uh, you know, a real gospel and, you know, a true gospel, like what are their kids? Doing? I, well, it's possible those kids are leaving the church in droves because they don't they don't have a foundation in the true gospel. They don't know Jesus exam, as, as an example. Yeah. But here's what I'll tell you. What I'll tell you is, is that in my study, the average youth ministry budget of the 17 churches was thirty four thousand three hundred and forty two dollars. So that was the thirty four thousand dollars was the average youth ministry budget and 10 of the 17 churches were churches of 500 to 1,000. Um, and I told you I did my study 500 to, to 2,000. But I just say that because one of the things that I can, I can say without a doubt, that if your church resources the youth ministry well, gives them a budget, and hires a full-time student pastor, then it is going to impact the retention and faith formation of those students in the future. I think it is a huge mistake that churches are backing down their resources, but I understand why they're doing it because they're basing it on bad data. And, um, you know, there are 3 million references in the literature to this idea that kids are leaving the church, 3 million, like it's crazy. So what's happening is, is that, that they're just going based on what they think or what they know. And, uh, and, and it's a problem. And here's another thing it's done. And I know you guys have seen this, I'm sure. And, you know, heard this, but here's, here's a, here's a consequence. And I mentioned it a, a briefly a minute ago, I get five to 10 emails a week from senior pastors all over the country going, we can't find a student pastor anywhere. Can't find them. And you lead, you know, at this large Christian university, you have lots of youth ministry majors. Like, do you have anybody? And my answer to them is no. And they're confused. I don't understand. Like, what do you mean you don't have anybody? Like, and, and the reason I don't have anybody is because our seniors are hired before they get anywhere close to their, their graduation date. All of the seniors in our youth ministry program last year, you know, 30 to 35 seniors that graduated in May, um, all of them had a job by January of this year. All the graduated in May had a job by January. And the average salary was $55,000 a year. I had two guys starting out at $70,000 a year in their first job right out of college at their first church. Wow. And you say, man, that's, that's, that's insane. But here's what's happening. What's happening is that we've created this supply and demand situation that is so dramatic. I mean, you have, I'm talking to churches that are, you know, they have 20,000 people at their church and they cannot find a student pastor. Like they have tons of resources. They have tons of, you know, they, there's literally just not the number. We've gotten away from talking about ministry in the church, calling the ministry in the church, calling people out for ministry in the church. But Jeff and Jason, if you think about it like this, who are the people that typically lead young people through a ministry calling in that conversation? It's youth pastors. They're the ones who lead them through a book and lead them through the conversation, see the potential in them and call them out, have that conversation with them at a camp or at a retreat. But when your church doesn't have a student ministry, you don't value it, you don't resource it, 
and you don't have that pastor and that leader, that person that can invest, pour in and do that, then um, it dramatically impacts, you know, the the uh, the the, uh, the the there's consequences for how that that plays itself out. And the consequence is less and less people going into ministry, less and less people taking up the mantle for ministry. And over time, over the last 10, 15 years where this has been the case, at least now churches are feeling the 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 heat of the vacuum that's been created due to that reality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. So I do see churches. I do see churches that are not resourcing their student ministries well and then they wonder why you know and resourcing their pastors well or paying their pastors enough to eat right you know and um and and then what's and, and i and honestly and i'll just say this i believe this is biblical we're we're in a world right now where you know a lot of people talk about how much a pastor makes pastors make too much or this or that or whatever you know i can't believe that pastor drives that or i can't believe that and i think that says more about that says more about the congregate than it says about the pastor that says more about their maturity. Yeah. In fact, from a biblical standpoint, there is no biblical reference anywhere on how little a pastor should make, but there is on how much. And Paul tells us that uh, that they are worthy of double honor, and that in every scholar would suggest that 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 text is talking about financial compensation and remuneration. So we have more pastors that would qualify for food stamps than we do uh, pastors that are flying around in jets. So let's let's yeah. stop talking about. You know, and I think that, but I think this is a problem. And so I got lots of friends and I'm sure you guys too, that are now out of ministry and it's not because they're out, they, they lost their love for ministry or whatever, but it's because they couldn't feed their family. So now they're real estate agents and they're, you know, they're self-starters, they're creatives, they're whatever. And so they're doing other things. And I think the church has to do a better job of taking care of our church, our students. We got to, you know, this next generation, and I know I'm just talking here, but I mean, this next generation, Gen Z is is uh is massive i mean it's huge you know and it's going to be making up about 30 percent of the workforce here in the next couple years like it's massive it's the most diverse generation you know ever in the history of the world and you know and uh and and this is the generation that's before us right now and we can't as the church sleep on it and be like well let's pull resources from them and let's pull the leaders that are going to be investing in them that makes no sense especially the effectiveness of youth ministry in the church yeah yeah incredible incredible what what do you say to uh yeah to churches speak right now to some youth workers that are underpaid i'm sure there's a lot of them listening what do you say to them well i you know um it's 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 a real thing and there's real pressure that is there to encourage you i would say um, I'm seeing a shift happening in the church right now where churches are increasing what they're paying and they are reevaluating what they're paying as inflation and other things have, have uh, you know, come to the table, um, but they're reevaluating it. And I'm actually seeing um, them paying better in the church of, of, of at least the circles I'm in where people are getting hired. They're getting hired at better places financially than uh they ever have in the church and i would also say and i i do this because i talk to a lot of senior pastors and personnel committees at churches i would also say for the senior pastors and personnel committees of churches um if 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 uh uh, you're not going to hire people if you keep underpaying them because now there's the supply and demand issue where you know there's plenty of places that will because they see the value of having a person that is in that role and is going to love their students, pour into their children, you know, whatever role they're in on the next generation side of things. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough deal. I think it is worth the conversation with the leadership. You know, working at uh, 12 Stone Church, um, you know, down in Atlanta, you know, Dan Ryland, who I think is one of the, the, you know, best leadership minds in the church anywhere. I mean, the guy's incredible. He used to always tell us, he would always tell us um, a conversation about your salary and what you make is never an off limits conversation. That should always be an on the table conversation. Now, you might think that you should get paid more than you should get paid. And the church has a reality of a budget that they have to maintain. And there's giving and there's all that type of stuff that is, you know, there's there's complexity to the conversation, in other words. However, that should not be a awkward and off the table conversation. And your church should be pretty open with you and leadership should be pretty open with you about 
you know, here's kind of what this position pays and here's kind of what the range is going to be. And, uh, you know, here's kind of what this position can grow into and not dangle a carrot, but actually be, you know, integrous and honest about what they're saying. But you need to have an, you know, an idea with it. And, you know, if you're someone and you're married, and you have two kids and you're like, dude, we're barely making ends meet right now. We can barely, you know, barely pay the bills. And, and sometimes we have to make decisions on what bill to pay or not. And then and your wife's pregnant or, you know, or you are pregnant with your, you know, your child and that real reality is there. And you have that conversation and they say, look, basically in the next five years, we're not going to do anything. You know, I mean, you know, that, you know, you know, I mean, you know, those are those are those are conversations you have to have. You know, the, I mean, they, they really are. And it's sad that that way, you know, there's kind of been this thought like, well, you're doing ministry so you can, you know, you can, you're doing ministry. So, it, you know, do ministry. It doesn't matter what you make. doesn't matter that type of stuff. It's about the heart. And I would say, yes, it is. It, it certainly is. But also you can't live on a bag of beans and a bag of rice every month, you know, that your church decides to give you. Like, you know, the ministries have to see the value of the leader that's in that position and not treat them as like, Hey, this is just ministry. So this is what it is, especially if they want to keep people around for tenure, which I believe tenure is significant related to the effectiveness of ministry in a church, you know, uh, and and in a youth ministry. Um, it has significant the average tenured youth pastor in my study. Um, the average was seven years. So they had been at their church for seven years and the retention for those most deeply committed students was 98 percent and there were only six dropouts of like 300 in that category that dropped out of the church. And three of them were from the same church. If you remove that church from my study, then basically the dropout rate would have been 99.4% or uh, the, uh, the actual retention rate would have been 99.4%. And uh, so what we're seeing is, is that longevity does have a connection to retention, Yeah. but it's hard yeah. to keep people around. It's hard to keep people around if they can't, you know, if they can't, um, you know, uh, do that. And I'll tell you, Two, um, one, one more thing, let me say on this, uh, um, is that money is not the only way to compensate someone. There are multiple ways to compensate someone, mm -hmm. but that is one way. I think another thing that I'm seeing related to taking care of your staff is vacation. Um, I think that every church, you should start every staff person at your church. I mean, I'm talking about right out of college. Everyone should start with three weeks vacation. Mm -hmm. Start with three weeks. If you're if you're married um, and your wife lives like my wife lives in Alabama, her family's from Alabama, my family's from North Carolina, and right now we live in Virginia. Well, if she's gonna want to go see her family for a week a year. Well, there's one week, and I'm gonna go and see my family for a week a year. Well, there's two weeks. Well, so where's the vacation? Yeah. You know, if I got two weeks vacation, you know what I mean? Right. There needs to be opportunity for vacation, opportunity for rest. Ministry's not a nine to five. Ministry is a uh, you know, there's a nature of ministry where that you take it home with you. There's late nights. Sometimes you're kept up with it. You're dealing with all types of circumstances and situations. And uh, to me, like at minimum, your church should be giving you three weeks. If your ministry goes under because you missed three weeks, it probably wasn't built on much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so I think that helps young leaders too. you know, helping them have the opportunities to do that. Or if you can't pay them. Churches should give them, allow them to have other opportunities, allow them to have a side hustle, allow them to go yeah. do some speaking, allow them to go do some other things to, to, to make up the gap. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, I want to speak to anyone here listening as well that, cause I was in that situation for many years, um, you know, where just didn't get raises for years at a time. And, you know, there's different reasons for that, but, but the opportunities are out there and, if you're listening to this and you go, I remember one time at a church I worked at, I went to my pastor because we went to try to buy a house and our our um, bank representative said, you know, just so you guys are aware, you guys are eligible for welfare. I went to my senior yeah. pastor and I said that, I guess, said, just kind of in a joking way, but I wanted him to hear it. I said, did you know that we're eligible for welfare? And he goes, well, you're not taking it, are you? That was his response. I thought, thanks for caring. Yeah. But what, yeah. What does that, what does that say about the, what does that say about how that church values a leader, a pastor and a staff member? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you know speaking as a, as a lead pastor myself, and I've told my staff this, um, you know, at the, in a church context is that I want to, 
I want to hire less and pay more. And so I, I tell them, you know, you may have a little extra on your plate, but it's because I want to honor you, keep you, and pay you as, you know, as best as I can. I feel like we can. And that's yeah. a high priority for me as a leader because I know what it does when you're able to, you know, take care of people and, and help them to understand, you know, the philosophy there. Because some churches say we're going to hire as many as we can for the least amount of money. And others would say, we're going to hire less people and try to pay them more. And I've always tried to be on that other end of things. You know, you always have to you have to balance all those things as a leader. But if you're listening to this and you go, I feel like I'm drastically underpaid, I would say don't feel guilty about looking around because wherever you yes. go, you're going to love students and youth ministry and that you're going to be passionate about it. And there are places that will pay you. Especially, Derek, as you're talking about the supply and demand, you'll find that. All you got to do is just look around. It's out there for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it is. I mean, right now more than ever. Right now more than ever. And I'd also just bring it up, you know, and I know that, you know, uh, there might be people listening that, that you're in a bivocational situation or a volunteer type situation or a part-time type ministry situation. And, um, but you feel called to a full-time ministry situation. And I would be having those conversations with the leadership of the church that you're in to say, Hey, how can I get in that full-time situation? And what is that going to look like? Um, but there are so many full-time ministry opportunities out there and ministries that need that. Um, and, uh, so I, I would, I would mention that too, that, that, that don't, you know, um, you know, yeah, don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be a lid to the potential impact that you can make. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah, let me let me just speak while we're talking about this too, to those of you that might be in that situation where you're a volunteer, part-time, full-time, and you feel like, well, I'm at a certain point or stage where I need to take that next step in ministry, and, and you feel like you want to graduate to something bigger, better, more influential and I've said to people for years and I had so many opportunities when I was in uh, full-time vocational youth ministry church plants worship leading other opportunities to do things and I always said I feel like this is the best way because of my passion to really spend my life and my time and energy because I saw the impact that it was making on young people and I saw the retention and I you know, I'd hear these statistics, Derek, and I would think, I'm not seeing that. I never really saw that myself either. But I, you know, right. if you're out there and you're going, well, I get asked every month to plant a church or I get asked every month to become a lead pastor. If that's what you feel called to do, I, I often think that people aren't called to do that. They're just doing it because of the opportunity and, and a lot of reasons because of the pain. I don't totally blame people for that because... You do have to take care of your family, but like we're saying, if you feel passionate about it, if you feel called, the opportunities are out there, and um, you just need to explore those because, like you, Derek, I get calls almost on a weekly basis saying, do you know of anyone? And I often find myself giving the same answer. I'm not in a university setting where I'm training youth ministry professionals like you are, Derek, but I, I hear it often, and I... And I quite often don't have a good answer because people have been, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Youth ministry has been siphoned off um, in a lot of arenas for church plants and campus pastoring and yeah. all that. And, That's you know, right. again, nothing against that. But I think a lot of people that are getting out of youth ministry to do that, I don't know if they fully realize the opportunities are out there. And don't let don't feel don't feel undervalued or less because of the work that you want to do. And I think sometimes the pay that we get, if you're getting paid less then you feel less valued. And so you feel like, well, this career is less valued, but there are people out there, like we're saying plenty of people that value it, that will show you that value financially. And if you're passionate about it, don't get out of it. Keep going for it. Yeah. And you know, let me, let me, let me uh, tag on that, Jeff. Cause, cause, uh, uh, cause I, I, I will take up a little bit of a, you know, an angst on that deal because, um, I think that what's happened too is a lot of young leaders, a lot of young leaders, especially, you know, you're in a church or in a ministry environment, church planting, you know, different, you know, larger church campus pastor position, something like that comes available, comes in, 
hey, man, you can be the boss. You can be the leader. You don't have to answer to this person. You don't have to worry about, you know, um, parents beating you up about this or whatever. And we're going to pay you more money. And churches will see kind of that as a move up or a, a not, not a lateral move, but a, but a uh, you know, a, 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 but I'd say any move that is outside of your calling and what God's called you to do is, uh, is a demotion. Um, yes. And you should, if God's called you to student ministry or children's ministry or whatever ministry's called you to do, there are plenty, of, there are so many places you can do that. And I would just suggest that you find a place where you can do that. And I'll tell you just kind of a quick story on this. When I was at 12 stone, they had brought me in, you know, um, Dan Ryland, Kevin Myers, they had brought me in and uh, you know, and they're, they're amazing leaders, amazing pastors. They had, this campus that they were launching and they projected it to be one of their largest campuses. And it has become that it was just going to be incredible. And, you know, and so they shared the whole vision with me and uh, basically said, Hey man, we would love for you to lead that, that campus. And so I just said, you know, listen, man, I, I'm so honored that you would consider me that you would think that I, you know, and, you know, and, and, and the very much the view is kind of like, Hey, this is a move up. Like this is a, this is a move up to a, to a higher position or, or whatever the pay would be more potentially things like that. So, um, but, you know, I said out of, out of honor and respect for you guys, I'll definitely pray about it, all of that. But I mean, in my heart, in my mind, I knew what I'm called to. I knew, I, I knew that that probably wasn't going to be it, but I did pray about it. And, uh, you know, a few days later, I just told Dan Ryland, hey, man, thank you so much for the opportunity and for thinking of me. Um, but I know God's called me to the student ministry and the student ministry of the next generation. And, 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 uh, and I, I just, I can't take it. I can't do that. I can't go against what God's calling me to do, or it would, you know, it'd be a demotion for me to take that role. So anyways, about, uh, about two days later, I'm in my office working on something, get a knock at my door. I look over Kevin Myers, the senior pastor at, uh, at down at 12 stone is knocking at my door. I go over, open the door. He comes in and honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to come in and try to talk me into this position. You know, he's going to, mm -hmm. he's going to give me like the vision cast again and be like, Hey man, like, dude, we really need you for this or whatever. He comes in, he sits down, he asked me a couple questions about, you know, his son who was in the student ministry at the time. And he says, Hey man, I just want to tell you, thank you. And I said, thank you for what? He said, thank you for saying no. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, man. He said, you know, sometimes you have to pray through things, you know, for God just to keep confirming to you what he's already told you to do. And he says, man, I just want you to know, I appreciate you saying no and being obedient to the Lord. Hmm. And dude, I put so much wind in my cells as a leader because sometimes you can be a little bit insecure or I can be insecure, you know, uh, about, you know, uh, uh, how those things play themselves out in, in the mind of the leadership around you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have to, um, uh, you know, you don't have to go take that, you know, that this other position that the church might view as a higher position, but I don't view any of these positions as a higher position. I, we're all in ministry together. We're on the same team. Um, I don't see any calling greater than pouring into the next generation. I believe the eight most important years of anybody's life is 14 to 22 years old. During those years of their life, they are making the, the, all the major decisions they're going to make in life, the type of person they're going to marry, their worldview, their values, the type of college they're going to go to, the type of career path they're going to take. Um, all of that stuff is formed in those early years of their life, and most significant faith decisions happen before the age of 18 years old. And we know this and it's well documented by data. So, so because of that, why is it that, you know, the church and ministry leadership is not putting more emphasis and resourcing towards uh, the most fruitful area of ministry and important area of ministry, one of the most important areas of ministry in the church. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I would like to ask you, it, it's going to change this topic a little bit, but have you yeah. seen uh a shift in kind of more of the emasculated male uh approach in leadership where in youth ministry where it you just aren't finding strong male leaders and i asked that because i was meeting with somebody who uh is on the board of a large camp and they hire thousands of college age students and for that camp and he said 80% is female so that 20% is male and yet a lot of the men are kind of emasculated demasculized I wondered if there's a shift in trend towards um, the male leader in youth ministry so so I think uh, I, I, I got I, I have a lot 
that I think on this. This could be a uh, we can do another podcast on this another day uh, because uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll throw out a few things to you. I would say that um, that uh, that uh, I do not see that hardly at all. Liberty. You don't see that at Liberty, you said? Hardly at all. Okay. Let me just let me preface that and say I don't see that because we talk about to be a man and male leadership and we talk about the importance of that and we really drive that deal. And so we have so so we have a really focus on the idea that, hey, man, if you're a, a female or a male, like God can use you incredibly in ministry and do things in ministry and all that type of stuff. And we affirm that and we talk about that type of stuff and the importance of that. However, I will tell you that a alarming trend at a lot of Christian colleges and places training people for ministry, there's a lot of uh, feminism, really strong feminism and ideas that are coming in that are, that are um, I think, incredibly dangerous. And in the pursuit of us elevating women in ministry, we have pushed men down in ministry and 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 I am all about elevating women in ministry, and we should elevate women in ministry. Absolutely. And there's plenty of biblical examples of that, of women in ministry and all that type of stuff. So, and I feel like I need to say that because of my insecurity about someone hearing this and going, "Oh, there he goes on the," you know what I mean? But th- but I feel like I need to say that because of how deeply in our culture this is, and and um, and and it's a problem. It's a problem. We talk so much about women in ministry that we don't talk enough about men in ministry. We've had a male leadership problem in the church for years and years and years. It's been a problem for, you know, this is not a recent problem. Um, and, you know, and uh, and so I think that one of the things we have to do is, yes, we need to get women in front of our, you know, speaking in our chapels and things like that at, univers- at our universities and showing that women can do ministry and picking their brains. Out. But, you know, we also need we need strong men that are doing that, too. We need to have our young men having examples of strong men that they can look to, that they can um, grow from, learn from, and see ministry modeled from, and, uh, you know, and what uh, healthy masculinity and being a man looks like and things like that, you know what I mean? So I think there is a, I think there is a, um, you know, a level of, you know, um, and, and, I, and, and I'll tell you the reason why I say that too is I have lots of students that come here because they transfer from other Christian colleges. And they're like, man, the college was just so woke. It was so, you know, um, uh, you know, just really a lot of the gender stuff and the fluidity stuff, you know, it's really becoming a, a deep converse, you know, uh, uh, you know, deal at some of these places. And these are Christian institutions. And I'm like, man, that's an issue. That's a problem. And it's a situation, but it's affecting our men for sure. It's affecting um, it's affecting uh, them. Uh, uh, absolutely. It's affecting them. So I'm certainly seeing it in ministry in general. But I would say there has to be more intentionality in the places that are training the next generation of ministry leaders. There's got to be more intentionality on um, uh, uh, that on that side of things. And if you look at it from a biblical perspective, Titus chapter two, the older men are to pour into the younger men and the young older women are to pour into the younger women. There's kind of a picture of this that we see. And we have we do have in our country an absence of the father. Uh, And in our homes, we have, uh, you know, um, absence of male leadership. Well, when the absence of male leadership is there, what is filled the vacuum is female leadership, female leadership or no leadership. And that's all that these young men are getting. Right. Uh, A lot of these young men are getting. So, yeah, I think um, I think it is a problem for sure. And and uh, and it's uh, it's an issue and something that we're going to have to address as the church, you know. Hmm. Yeah, man, I just wish I was recording all this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Next time. Next time. Next yeah, time. that's right. Next time. Well, that's a that's a lot, man. We know your time is coming up here, Derek. I'll uh yeah, I want to get in touch with you, just connect with you personally on some things, but man, thanks for your thanks for your time today. Thanks for your leadership and um is there any place that this research is available for people to get a hold of? Absolutely. Um, I can send it uh, to you guys as well. Um, uh, I don't know if you have a posting, a way to post it, but if you just basically go to Google 
you know, do an easy Google search and you can just type in, um, you can type in an assessment, an assessment of the dropout rates, former youth ministry participants, an assessment of the dropout rates of former youth ministry participants. Are you serious? Put so sim- so simple. That's so, can you make so that simple. longer? <laughs> That's not uh, long enough. That's the short. That's the short version. They're it's still actually, typing out an assessment. <laughs> that's why I said it multiple times. It's actually an assessment of dropout rates of former student ministry participants in self-identified evangelical churches <laughs> with 500 to 2,000 weekly attendance. But can you? But if you type in what's that acronym? In, <laughs> yeah, if you type in just an assessment of dropout rates of former youth ministry or, or student ministry participants, you put anything like that. Uh, when you do that, it's going to you'll you'll see you'll basically see the top two things will be studies. One will be from me, uh, and it'll say DWI Idol 2022, and the other will be from JB Shields 2008. If you read my study, my study has all of the data from Shields' study in there. If you focus on the chapter one and you focus on the chapter five, that'll give you kind of the problem and what's happening and the all of the sort of research and data that has been claimed and. The research and, de- and and where people have targeted youth ministry and then in chapter five it gives kind of the conclusions of the data you can pop back to chapter four and see some of the breakdown of the of the uh of the of the of the statistics and graphs and charts and all that type of stuff and the churches and all that but anyways yeah so if you do that um you can click on that and uh and and uh, uh and and see some of that research i'll do all the hard work for the listeners and i'll actually type it out for the description i i, I found it well, that's good. That's, so I'll yeah, put it the works. Link in there. It's easy. It's easy. What are you talking about? Dude, thank you guys so much for having me on, man. You guys are amazing. And uh, anything I can do to help you guys in the future. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, Love thanks, it. Derek. Good thanks, talk Derek. To you. Yep. See ya. All right. Bye. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.